0: wearied as he was from the journey was sitting beside the well and it was about the 6th hour a woman from samaria came to draw water jesus said to her give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food the samaritan woman said to him how is it that you a jew ask for a drink from me a woman of samaria for jews had no dealings with samaritans jesus answered her Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband, so what you said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar. And went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months. Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Bretta. All right. So we are continuing our series of the book of John. We're in chapter four, obviously, so... Make sure you're turned there. When I was a a youth pastor in Kentucky, uh, Gilead, um, when I first got there, you know, when you first get there, everybody wants to show you everything, show you the site, show you what the town's about, and uh, I mean, literally, a stone's throw away from the church uh, was this kind of old, run-down, uh, like, city. Like, there were all these buildings, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, man, it would be really cool to play paintball in this. But it's all overgrown, there are all these buildings, and, and, and windows are smashed out, and you're looking like, what, what was this thing? And, and then they began to tell me that this used to be the old children's home. And this is where there were all these orphans who lived there, and, uh, and you know, people, they would get adopted, they would take care of them there, and it was literally a stone's throw from the church, and so naturally, all of these kids, every Sunday, they, they took them to our church, and this was before I got there, obviously, but to our church, and so the church would have like 70-some kids just from this children's home show up at the church and, and come to Sunday school and be at church there, and as you can imagine, uh, kids from a children's home, probably a little rowdy, probably a little crazy, probably a little loud, probably uh, not coming with their church their Sunday best on and, and buttoned up and behaving, and so after some time, uh, some of the parents of of kids began to get a little perturbed. Right? They, didn't, they didn't necessarily like the fact that uh, all these kids were going to be this negative, bad influence on their kids. And, and so there was issue after issue after issue. And eventually, the church asked for them not to come back. They sent these 70-some kids. They said, you're going to have to find somewhere else because we can't, we can't handle this. We can't do this anymore. And they sent them back the question that we must ask ourselves this morning is why does the church exist? Are we like a country club? We come and volunteer at some time and enjoy the amenities? Are we a daycare or a place for kids to come and discover and have fun? Why are we here? Why does Fellowship Baptist Church exist? Why are we placed off 22 and 3 in this spot, in this facility, I think the story this morning will ha- help us answer that question. Father, would you use this story to help us to answer this difficult question? Why do we exist? Why have you put us here?
0: In Jesus' name we pray,
1: amen. Jesus. At this point in the story, Jesus' ministry is really just beginning. The disciples that you know. Over the past couple of weeks, we've noticed how the disciples have seen Jesus. At this point, only do one miracle, right? Turn water into wine. They've seen him go into the temple and make a big scene and chase people out of the temple. Um, they've seen really interesting conversations that Jesus has had, you know, with with Pharisees about uh, you have to have a new birth. They've seen this, but the disciples really at this point are still quite learning. Who Jesus is and what he's about and what he's doing, so everything is still really new. And this story this morning again reveals how Jesus is unexpected and who he is and what he's about is really unexpected. Because as soon as you think you have Jesus figured out, he surprises you again, and today's story is no different. And so what we do, what we find is Jesus and his disciples traveling from Judea to Galilee, now, that means nothing usually to you and I, but if you were to look at a map, you would see Judea in the south and Galilee in the north, and to get there, there's this giant country in the middle right in between them called Samaria. And They would have to travel through there to get there. Now, note when verse 4 says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Well, what's interesting about that is that if you were Jewish in this time, if you are particularly uh, someone who took Judaism seriously, if you were a Jewish leader in this time, people did not travel through Samaria. They would actually take a week's journey to go around Samaria. This giant country that it would just be, it's a straight line to get through it, to get to where you need to go, and instead, they would go around it. Now, why would you do that? Why would you take a week extra time to travel all the way around? Because the Jews, we read it in this this verse, they have no dealings with Samaritans. Why? They hated the Samaritans. They didn't want to see them. They didn't want to speak to them. They didn't want to be near them. If If they saw one on the street, they'd walk to the other side of the street to be away from them. They hated them so much, but why? Because a few hundred years before that, Assyria came and attacked and took over Israel. And when they did that, they sent some of their own people to live in parts of Israel. And when they did that, these people, the Israelites, married, intermarried with the Assyrians. And their offspring, now half Jew, half Assyrian, became the Samaritans. And so these Samaritans are half-breeds. Not only that, but every time they would see him, it was a reminder of their captivity and also a reminder that these people gave in. They capitulated to the enemy that came and attacked our land. And they went against the commands of God to not intermarry. And so they hated the Samaritans. They hated them. But verse 4 tells us that Jesus and the disciples had to go through Samaria, you see, Jesus is not like the rest of the Jewish people. He's not like the rest of the Jewish leadership. And when we read this word had, in the Greek it is the word day, which means and conveys necessity, right? That it was a divine necessity or requirement that Jesus had to go through there. It wasn't just a geographical requirement because everyone else went around. It was normal to go around, but he had. He had a divine necessity or requirement to go through Samaria, Why is that? Because Jesus had a divine appointment with a woman there. There was someone that he needed to meet. There was a mission he had to accomplish. There was a reason he needed to go through Samaria. So Jesus went down this intentional path, down an undesirable route to meet someone the rest of the world hated, but who Jesus needed to meet. You see, Jesus didn't care what the world thought about him. Jesus didn't care what, uh, what the disciples were going to think or what other people were going to think. He didn't care what they would say. Jesus had a mission. He had a divine appointment from God, and he intended to be where he needed at the time he needed to be there. See, Jesus traveled through Samaria because he wanted to be at this particular well at this particular time to meet this particular woman. Now, remember, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? And so it's still early on. He's still building a following. He's still getting people to support him. He's still garnering credibility. And so i to asking this question, if you were going to start a new religious movement, if you were at the beginning of a new movement, what kind of people would you want backing you? What kind of people would you want following you? You'd want wealthy people to fund it. You'd want powerful people. You'd want influential people. In this particular time in history, you'd want men because a woman couldn't do anything for you? You'd want upstanding members of society and you'd want good citizens who bring credibility to your cause. And so here early on in Jesus' ministry, he has got a divine appointment with a particular person which is causing him to walk through an undesirable place, something no one would expect him to do. It takes great care to meet with them. And this person isn't rich or powerful, holds no influence. And in fact, the person that Jesus goes to meet would have a negative impact on his ministry from an earthly perspective. People would look at that and think, why would you meet with this woman? And so he gets there. He gets to the well, and there's this woman there, and he meets her. He begins talking to her, as we read. And what we find out from this woman is immediately she's got four strikes against her. If nothing else, she has these clear four strikes against her. One, strike one, she's a woman. Back then, you couldn't as a woman, you couldn't own property. As a woman, you're, you could not testify in court. If you saw someone murder someone else, they would not take your word for it and convict the person. A woman was really just above a slave. A woman couldn't help Jesus' movement at all. Even the disciples, when they get back from town, they go to town, they come back, and they see Jesus talking to this woman, and they're like, What's he talking to this woman for? Like they don't understand what's going on. Why would you be speaking to a woman? Strike one. Strike two, she's, she's a Samaritan. She's this half-breed. She's the wrong color. The, the Jews looked to Samaritans just kind of like the Nazis would later look to the Jews. They hated them. She could not help Jesus' ministry among the Jewish people because they would hate her. They wouldn't listen to her. Jesus would lose instant credibility by having her as a follower. Strike two. Strike three. She's been divorced five times. Jesus tells her to go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, you spoke right. You were truthful because you've had five and the man you're with now is not your husband. You know, at at some point, you realize maybe it's not the other person's fault. You know what I'm saying? Just at some point, at some point, maybe you got to look in the mirror a little bit. I don't, maybe after three, after four, I don't know what the number is. But at some point you realize it's maybe, maybe your fault. And so here's this woman who has been married five times and divorced five times. I mean, having one divorce in this culture was highly shameful, highly shameful. But to have five? Unheard of. And so here is Jesus, this holy man, this rabbi, and he should not be seen with such a woman. Shouldn't be seen with a woman anyway, but not not particularly a Samaritan woman, and then not particularly a woman who's been divorced five times. Surely Jesus is above that, right? Surely Jesus is better than that. Surely Jesus shouldn't be seen dealing with a woman such as this. Strike four. She's been married and divorced five times, and the man you're with now is not your husband. You see, she was shacking up with a man now who wasn't her husband. It is most likely the case... Now, this woman now at this point in her life really can't afford a place to live. And so she has found this low life of a man who will let her stay at his house in exchange for sex. It's most likely what has happened. She's shacking up with a man who's not her husband. You see, this woman is an outcast. This woman is a degenerate. She, to the world, she is worthless. To the world, she is a nobody. She is the lowest of the low. And do you know why she is at the well at this time of day? The Bible says she's there at the sixth hour, which is the middle of the day when the sun is right high in the sky at 12 o'clock. It's super hot. Why is she there? Because she is such an outcast that when all of the other women in the town go in the morning to get water, as they did every day, they will not let her go with them. So she has to wait until no one else is there to go by herself to get water. She goes alone. She had been rejected by five men. She had been rejected by these women. She had been rejected by her town and the people that lived there. She was alone. She was an outcast. One of the things that were breaking my heart this past week in Toronto is, and if you've been to a big city, you've seen this. You're walking down the street in downtown and like literally in the middle of the sidewalk, not up against the side, in the middle of the sidewalk, there are people in sleeping bags sleeping on the ground flies buzzing around them, food shoved up in places, and you literally have to walk up and walk around them. And everyone is going, coming and going and just walking around them like it's no big deal. There is a human being created in the image of God laying on the floor in their filth, disgusting and starving, and they're just in our way. It's like a big boulder. Man, what's that thing doing here? I gotta get around that thing. So when you look at that, when you go to these cities and you just see all these homeless people just laying in the streets, no one cares other than the fact that they're in my way. I'm trying to get somewhere and I got to walk around this person. No one cares. Those people are outcasts. And, and how do we often respond? We look at these people and we look down our nose at them and go, get a job. Well, if you worked hard like I did, you wouldn't be in this situation. Well, if you didn't get strung out on drugs like an idiot, you wouldn't be in this situation. And we look down our nose and we judge and we shame and we make them outcasts i think that is a helpful modern day equivalent to who this woman was that's how everyone treated her except jesus this five-time divorced samaritan half-breed outcast of a woman Jesus went through and traveled to meet her. His divine appointment from God was to meet this woman. Why her? She got all these problems. She can't help him. Jesus doesn't need her. She needs him, and so he came. I want us to stop for a moment. I want to ask the question. Church, we got to ask this question of ourselves. What kind of people do we want here? What kind of people do we want to come in our doors, to park in our parking lot, to sit in our chairs, and to be a part of us? Do we want people who look like us, who smell good, who are put together, have their act together, wear the right clothes, and give enough money? Is that who we want? Or do we want to welcome those who are weary, those who are heavy laden? and offer them rest? Do we want to be a place where people who are strung out on drugs are welcome to come find help here? Where strippers who can get off work and come find refuge here. Do we want to be that kind of place, or do we just want to be a country club and have people who look like us and sound like us and are we're comfortable with? People that don't make us uncomfortable, people that fit in to what I like. Last week I talked about how the only way that we will feel and understand and be confident that God loves us, is that if that same love is reflected to us by the church. The way you love each other will be the way you feel and think God loves you. And so we have to love and embrace and accept and care for people who are not like us. People who have problems, that are not simple, socially acceptable problems, but problems that are messy and are sticky and are hard and uncomfortable and problems we don't always have the answers to. People who don't like the things we like or look like we do. Church, how would we respond? And I don't just mean leadership teams. I don't just mean our deacons. I mean, how would you respond if on a Sunday morning, end walked this woman? If on a Sunday morning in walks a couple who is the same gender holding hands, if in walked someone who had flies buzzing around their body because they stank so bad, how would you respond when the outcasts of society walk in here? Let's see how Jesus responds. Jesus knows exactly who this woman is and here's what he does. comes up to the well and he asks her for a drink and and her first response is why would you talk to me no one else talks to me why would you talk to me and Jesus comments says if you knew who I was you would have asked me for a drink not understanding yet she's like well you don't even have a pail you don't got nothing to draw water with how could you ever get me water and Jesus says well if you drink my water you'll never thirst again And then sarcastically, she says, well, give it to me so I don't have to walk all the way to this well every day. That'd be great. And that's when he says, go get your husband. And she's like, well, I don't have one. He's like, I know, you've had five, and now you're shacking up with a guy who's not yours. He wants her to know that he knows who she is. Because of what's coming next, what he's getting ready to say to her, he wants her to know, I know who you are, and I know what you've done. What does she do? She does what we all do. She deflects, right? She she, she, she doesn't. She gets the attention off her and she says, well, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she starts talking about how worship happens. Well, you all say we gotta worship in Jerusalem and, and all this. She tries to distract him. Jesus is saying, no, 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 we ain't worried about that. There's a day coming where it won't matter if you're in Jerusalem or not. And she says, well, I know the Messiah's coming. Who? And, and when he comes, he's gonna fix everything. And Jesus' next words are amazing. Did you know, this is the only time in the entire Bible that Jesus plainly, outright comes out and says that he's the Messiah, he's the savior of the world. And the only time he says it is to this woman. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. And Jesus looks at this woman and he says, I who speak to you am he. It's the only time. He tells this woman the most important news in the world. Let me tell you something. Jesus loves outcasts. Jesus loves sinners. And that's good news for me and you. Because we are more like this woman than we care to admit. You see, Jesus had this divine appointment. He came to this spot so that he could meet this woman and offer her living water so she would never thirst again. He came to offer her himself. He's come to rescue her not the powerful not the rich not those who think they are good people but outcasts he's come for everyone who knows they're broken and he offers her living water he offers her himself he is the only thing that can fix what is wrong in her life finding the right man wouldn't do it she's done tried that six times being accepted by society and getting to walk with the women wouldn't do it but finding jesus would fill her up in a way that nothing else ever could You see, once you drink of Jesus, you never thirst again. Your soul is is parched. But once you drink of him, you'll never thirst again. So why does Jesus come seeking out this woman? Why does he have this divine appointment with her? The Bible tells us, Mark 2, 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. You see, Jesus did not come to pat those people on the back who think they're good and say, Oh, good job, so proud of you. He didn't come to do that, He came for those people who are hurting, who are royally messed up, those people who have lied and cheated, those people who've been addicted to drugs and addicted to pornography. Those who are broken and know they are broken is who Jesus came for. The people that we often look down our nose at and look at in shame and think, how, how do they make those decisions? How do they live like that? Those are the people Jesus came for. For the, the likes of this woman and the likes of you and me, those who are broken. You see it as those of us who know that we don't have it together. Those of us who know that we are dying of thirst, who know that we need a savior, know we need healing, know we need fixing, know we need rescue. Those are who Jesus came for. We, uh, well, I used to partner with a church plant in New Orleans, and it was fun going down to New Orleans, talk about good food. Amen. All right. And one of the things interesting in New Orleans is church plant, they, they started and, you know, they just started going everywhere they could to try to reach people. And and they were in Metairie, which is kind of a, a nicer part of the city and, uh, you know, very family, very affluent. And, and, and they would go to to parks and they would try to, they would go knock on doors and they would throw block parties. And, and I mean, it, growth was so slow. I mean, like, it'd be six, eight months and they would work on one person for that six, eight months. And finally, they would get them to come to the church and come and be baptized. And, I mean, it was just grinding and slow and nobody would come and and then one day they they were praying and they switched their effort and they went to this um, government housing low-income neighborhood and all the stories that they told about this place were wild and the drug dealers and uh, drug dealers threatening the pastor and getting ready to beat him up and Um, The cops getting called, people getting murdered, all kinds of crazy stuff. But they went into that neighborhood. They started investing in those kids and throwing parties for those kids and going into their homes and, and loving on them. And then you know what happened? The church blew up. I mean, people were coming in droves. They could, I mean, they had to find a new building. They had to find, get more seats. They couldn't hold them all in there. They, were, they just started coming. They were spreading seed all throughout the city, and none of it was landing on good soil. Nobody was coming. But when they went to the place where the people knew they were broken, they finally had an answer that they had been looking for, and they came to Jesus. And it began to transform that neighborhood. You see, Jesus didn't come for the people who think they got their act together. He came for the people who are messed up, jacked up, and broken and know it. That's why Jesus is always hanging out and eating with prostitutes and sinners. That's why all the religious people are always mad at him for doing it. Here's the truth we are all bad and we are all broken, but it is those who know that they are bad, know they are broken who realize they need to drink of Jesus. You see, they came because they knew their need of him, but sometimes we don't recognize that need. Sometimes we think we're good enough, we've got our act together, and we don't come. And then some of us know we're broken, but we wanna make ourselves better. We wanna better up for us. We wanna clean our act up and then come. But when you do that, you will never come. Jesus had this divine appointment with this woman because she knew she had need of Christ. So Jesus came for her. I want you to see what happens to her life after this. Verses 28 and 29 says, The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Notice, she comes to the well for one purpose, to get water. And after she encounters Jesus, what does she do? Her priorities change. Her life has changed. She leaves her water pot behind and goes into the city. She came for one purpose, but after meeting Jesus, her purpose changed. Her encounter with Jesus changed her. She no longer cared about her past. She didn't care what people thought about her, what she thought was important. She changed. And what happened? She was willing to go into a town where they despised her, rejected her, where they gossiped about her, where they treated her poorly, where they wanted nothing to do with her. She went back into that town and said to them, come meet this man. She didn't care what they thought about her. She didn't care that they'd gossiped about her. She said, I have discovered someone who has changed me and these people need it too. They would embrace her. They despised her and yet she went to them and proclaims the gospel. What can cause such boldness and courage that you would go to your enemies and those who have hated you and wronged you and tell them to come meet Jesus who's changed your life? Some of us would be afraid that they would think we're crazy. They might think that well, I can't do that because they're not gonna listen to me anyway. They don't listen to me now. Why would they listen? We might think that they'll, they'll only further shun us but she did not care about any of those things. She leaves her water pot and goes to the town, says, come meet this man. He could be the Christ. You See, when you know you're broken, and when you know that you have nothing good to offer, and yet Jesus will have you, and yet know that God loves you, When you drink from that well, do you know what it does to you? It frees you up, that you're no longer concerned about what other people think about you. You're no longer concerned how people react when you tell them about Jesus. You're not concerned with your reputation or your status. When you have the affection and acceptance of the only one who really matters, despite all of your dark secrets, when you are loved and wanted, it literally changes you. It gives you courage and boldness to leave behind your old priorities and wants, your water pots, and focus instead on what God is calling you to do. See, transformation at its most basic level is forsaking old priorities and running toward Jesus' priorities. Do you know what's just so crazy? This woman goes running off into the town telling everyone about Jesus, and they believe her. They come, and they see Jesus, and they believe in his They say, indeed, this is the Savior of the world. And if Jesus can use a broken woman like this to reach her town with the gospel, imagine how he might use you where you work. Imagine how he might use you at the gym. Imagine how he might use you at the park where your kids play. Imagine how he might use you everywhere you go. Jesus says again and again that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It means there's a lot of broken people out there, but not a lot of people going to them. A lot of people who need him out there, but not a lot of people willing to go tell them about how that need can be filled. A lot of thirsty people out there, not a lot of people given the, the water that will quench their thirst. The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Church, let it never be said of us that there were people at your work and people on the bleachers at the ball game or kids, people at the gym. They were ready to hear the gospel and believe, but no one told them. That they were hungry for it, but no one told them. Do you know why the church exists? We are a body who have been sent into enemy territory with a message that will end the war. We are an embassy and a foreign land proclaiming peace to all who would take refuge in Christ. We exist to proclaim the gospel. And proclaiming the gospel, listen to me, the proclaiming the gospel is not inviting someone to church. Proclaiming the gospel is not being kind to them or loving them. Proclaiming the gospel is not serving them. You should do all of those things, but proclaiming the gospel is not that. Proclaiming the gospel is telling them. That in their sin, that the world is broken, that they're broken, that their sin is broken, and God is coming to judge the world, but to fix the world, and they can be a part of God fixing the world, and He can fix them, He can save them, He can redeem them, He can make them new, and give them everlasting life if they just bow to Him as their King. That's sharing the gospel. So, my question is are we ready to leave behind our priorities and follow kingdom priorities? And here's my challenge to you this morning, and I'm going to be done. What if you woke up every morning and prayed this simple prayer? God, give me a divine appointment today. Give me a divine appointment. Let me encounter someone and give me the opportunity to share Jesus with them. And give me the courage and boldness to do it. Guys, if you pray that, I will promise you, you'll be amazed at what will happen in your life. You will see opportunities that have been in front of your face that you've never noticed before. People will come out of the woodwork and you'll just go, oh my gosh, I have this opportunity. Now I've got to actually follow through with it. The field is ripe for harvest, but the laborers are few. It is time that our church gets to work because the only way we will see our community change is if you take the gospel to wherever you go. Why does the church exist? Why does fellowship exist? to be a light in the darkness, to be a light in the darkness, to be a lighthouse on stormy sea to guide people back to shore. Fellowship, God has placed us on 22 and three with this facility and with you here at this time so that we might find all of those who are weary and heavy laden and offer them rest, offer them the water that will help them to never thirst again. So here's my challenge. As we get ready to sing in just a moment, My challenge to you is, as as a way of commitment to yourself, I want to challenge you to come up here. Just kneel down, come up here, stand, whatever you want to do, and pray this: God, give me a divine appointment this week. Give me the boldness and courage to follow through and to share the gospel. And I even want you to begin to picture people in your mind who you know at work, who you know wherever you go, that are lost. You know they're lost and say, God, give me the courage to share with them the gospel. Give me the courage to do that and the boldness to do that and the words to say, I'm not a theologian. I don't know how to articulate all this right, but let me just share my story about how Jesus changed my life. Give me the courage to do that. I want to challenge you, church. If you're ready to commit and say, you know what? I got to start taking this thing seriously. I want to start doing this. I want to come up here. Pray, God, give me a divine appointment. Give me people in my life that I can share the gospel with and give me the courage to do so. And if you're here this morning, and you're like this woman. You, you got a past, you got, you got some dark spots, you, you know you're bad, you know you're thirsty, but you've never drank of that well. Let me show you this morning how you can drink deeply of Jesus and never be the same. You, let me tell you this so clearly, and I'm done. You are not good enough. Your best works are filthy rags before the Lord, but he wants to make you beautiful and radiant. And he can if you'll come drink of him. Come make him your king. I'm going to stand right here. You can come do that. I want to challenge you to come up here and pray for a divine appointment and for courage to share the gospel. Not one or two of you. I expect many of you. Because the only way our church will make a difference in this community is if we start taking seriously the call to share the gospel with people who are broken and needed. People who, are, who we work with and live with and see every day. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now, and this woman and this story is a challenge to us because this woman is not like a lot of us. We're buttoned up, and we got good jobs, and we've got kids, and everything's going pretty well in our life, but when you peel back all those layers deep down, God, we are the same. Like her, we are broken. Like her, we are inferior, unable. We are sinful. We are outcasts ourselves. But, God, in your grace, you've loved us. You sent your son to die for us. You have made us beautiful. You've made us children if we bow our knees to you. And so, God, this morning, I pray for two things. One, I pray you give courage to people to come up here and pray, God, use me where I work. Give me divine appointments. Give me opportunities to share the gospel. and Give me the boldness to do it. And Father, for those people in this room, and we know there's people in this room, God, who have never drank of the well everlasting life, who have never come to Jesus and said, Jesus, save me, make me new, transform my life. God, would you give them the courage to come down here and look at me and say, Brent, I need what you're talking about. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to get it. I don't know what to do. Let me show them. God, help them to come this morning. God, help us to respond as we need to. Christ, and we pray all those people said. Let's stand and sing.